Hello and welcome to the Being and Becoming podcast. I'm joined today by a very special guest. He is not only a friend, but was also in a groomsman in my wedding. He's been a roommate, uh, a good friend from college, and currently now is uh, pursuing a degree or a master's of divinity. Is that right? Uh, theological studies, yeah. Theological studies, okay. And we went to school together at Anderson University, where we studied business together um, in undergrad. And then this guest went on to become a youth pastor and has traveled the world. Uh, and I'm excited to have on Ian Ray on the show. So thank you so much for coming on, Ian. It's an honor. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. So I guess I've kind of covered a lot there in that introduction, just giving you a bit of an overview. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that we've been friends for a long time. Been a minute, but, yeah. Yeah, been a minute. So, um, but I'm I'm kind of interested in maybe starting with this, maybe the world race, uh, which for the listener is probably better explained by you than by me but um that's essentially where the world travels come into play here and um definitely have a calling on your life from god so if you don't mind mm. kind of giving the background there maybe even dabbling into college a bit but kind of right around that time yeah for sure um man yeah so yeah well we met obviously in college at anderson university god bless go raven uh and yeah so i ended up going on a trip i ended up graduating a year early so for those who don't know i left logan hanging a year early even though we were good friends i know it's that um but what i instead of doing my senior year I, like i said i was able to graduate early i ended up going on a trip called the world race where at that time it's, it's changed a little since i went on it but you go to 11 countries in 11 months and uh yeah, it was a life-changing experience. I felt like the Lord kind of grabbed hold of my heart. I knew the Lord in college, but I wouldn't say I was in love with Jesus in college. Um, and then it was through that experience, just seeing the Bible come alive, like in front of me, like I would be reading different texts and I would see the things in front of me. And so we did everything. We did, you know, work in a refugee camp. We, you know, did street evangelism. We we're in, you know, we would go into like voodoo temples and share the gospel with like voodoo priests. We would, uh, I mean, anything and everything, we would move rocks. Like we would just help out churches, serve them and, and really just serve the local community that we were in. And so, yeah, it was awesome. It was a great experience. And I got to see the world and see different cultures and see uh, kind of the body of Christ around the world, but also be in community the whole time doing it. So we had, there was, how many was there? There would have been like 43 of us uh, all together moving from country to country. And then once in that country, we would break off into teams of six or seven. Um, and usually you were either just yourself as a team, uh, you know, partnered with a ministry host or maybe multiple teams together. So maybe there's 12 people. Um, but you like, there, if you're an introvert going on this trip, I don't know how you survive uh, because the only time you're alone is when your eyes are closed going to sleep. And that's not even like actually alone. There's someone that's sleeping two feet next to you, <laughs> but you are just asleep. And that's how you get your alone time. So 
noise canceling headphones were helpful for those who were like, leave me alone. But I'm an extrovert. And so I was always like, but let's hang out. And uh, not everyone wanted to hang out all the time, but, but it was good. It was, it was a, yeah, just an awesome experience. And I learned a ton, saw a lot of things, saw a lot of the world. Now I've been to, man, how many has it been? I've been on a lot of trips besides that. And so now I think I've been to 25 countries, something like that. Wow. Um, and so seeing the world. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of being alone or being left alone, that was funny referencing graduating early and, and leaving me. But when you, you came yeah. back after this trip, to your credit, it was the end of the school year, or I think I had been out for a month or two at that point, but I was trying to gauge, hey, Ian, are you interested in rooming together yeah. after my lease is up this summer? And right. you're like, well, I don't have a job. I'm figuring things out. Maybe I'm going to go back out on the mission yeah. field, go to a different country. And, you know, as as uh, God would have it, we ended up living together in an apartment um, after that summer I graduated whenever my college lease was up. And um, so you, you, you did redeem yourself there. <laughs> on true. The, that is that, true. That was <laughs> a good kidding. point. But, um, but yeah, it was that, that year was fun too, to hear about all your experiences and, and the way that you were growing and the, the leadership roles too. I think that you're able to yeah. get some experience during uh, I believe you were a team lead. I don't know if that's the correct term, mm -hmm. but yeah, you're in team charge leader, of yeah. team leader and charge of four, those 40 people I think you're talking about, or was it 20? Yeah, not, not all of all of them. So I, I was in charge of like one of the teams. So I had, I think there were six or seven on my team. So I was, oh, I was like, okay. the ministry host. I was in charge of team time. I would work on kind of team dynamics oftentimes and communication. And, you know, if something was going wrong, I was the person that, that helped fix it but also things were good i was yeah you know part of it too so so it was fun it, it was great but you got some good leadership experience that then helped you when you moved back yeah. you're in the job search we had this apartment you had signed the lease but we're still trying to figure out where you're going to land and then you ended up landing in probably the perfect spot for you at the time which was yeah indy vineyard where, where we both attended for a number of years yeah and uh, you became a youth pastor there. So I'm curious to hear yeah. how that differed from, from that trip. And maybe there's yeah. a lot of crossover. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, yeah, it differed quite a bit. Um, I remember the discernment of like discerning if I was supposed to work there. Um, and cool, quick story. I was, this was actually, so Logan and I are talking about living together and I don't know if I have a job, you know, I was kind of in the interview process, but I, I just didn't know. And I remember it was right before I was going on another mission trip. I'd been home for like a month before going on another different trip. I forgot that part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Logan is texting me and is like, Hey, can you live here? Like you want to live together? I'm like, I don't have a job. And I remember the Lord was just like, just like lay I, I laid on a bed that I was staying on. This is super strange. And just like pray. And so for like 15 minutes, I prayed. And I was like, Lord, give me peace or no peace on if I should live with Logan. And I remember just feeling so much peace. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to. Even though I'm signing onto a lease without a job, like it was kind of a step of faith. But the Lord was like really clear. And then when I went on this trip, the Lord made it clear I was supposed to work at this specific church because I was really discerning like, is this the church I'm supposed to be at? I didn't really know 
much about it, if I'm honest. And I was like, all right, Lord, just make it really clear. I'm supposed to work here. And so we ended up meeting, I think it was four different women named Carmen. And I was like, oh, interesting. So we actually had the opportunity to share the gospel uh, with one of them. And she ended up giving her life to Christ. It was really, really powerful. And we like share the gospel with others. But most of them, I think, had already known Jesus or were Catholic or, you know, had heard the name of Jesus and professed faith in it. Well, eventually it started getting weird because we started meeting all these Carmens. And I was like, why? Like, what is it? Like, God, what is it about Carmens? Like, is that a super regular name in Puerto Rico? And I remember my younger sister was like, well, why don't you look up what it means? And so I looked up and it means God's vineyard. And that was vineyard is the name of the church that I was discerning if I was supposed to work at. And I remember it was like, oh, wow. Okay. God, you're saying yes, but that's where I'm supposed to go. So that was like kind of a confirmation, like where I'm meant to go and and be a pastor. And so, yeah, I went there. And in terms of your question, like how it was different, it was so different. It was like discipleship overseas and in America are just different like ball games. I mean, it's like just the pace of discipleship and pursuit after Jesus is very different. It's almost like the transformation that you can experience by pursuing the Lord, uh, not just by serving, but even just in your like intimate kind of times with the Lord, you're doing it in community all the time. You're, you know, even Ephesians four fifteen, like speak the truth in love so that you might look more like Christ who's the head. Like we would do that with one another. And so there was like this, this, uh, you know, iron sharpening iron consistently of feedback and walking in community. So I just felt like I experienced so much transformation so much so quickly. And then even anyone that I discipled also experienced it quickly because it's like a, I don't know, it's like a firework for your spiritual life, essentially. Just this like trip that's designed for you to be transformed and fall in love with the Lord. And then you go, you know, be a youth pastor with students. And then you have this interesting group where I went from all these people who said, I'm going to dedicate a year of my life to travel the world all for the Lord and serve him. Some people like sold their cars, their houses, like they were all in. So there was like a already a huge buy-in. And then all of a sudden you become this youth pastor where it's like some of them like could care less. Some of Ah. them, their parents make them go. Uh, Some of them are like self-proclaimed atheists where they're like, I just go here because I'm homeschooled and I don't have any friends, but I don't even believe in this God thing. And then you have others that are like, no, I think I really want to like pursue my whole life for Jesus. And so it was just a different spiritual climate and the pace of transformation so much slower. It's like what happens at a month on the mission field maybe could take two years, you know, here in America. And so that was just an interesting dynamic, kind of like how do I pastor and shepherd them recognizing that long obedience in the same direction is important like eugene peterson he he always says that like it's long obedience so how do i consistently be faithful to these students and point them to jesus and help them to fall in love with them but also like walk with them when they're you know they go through a breakup or they you know whatever happens whatever life throws at them um but recognizing like it might not be as fast paced as the mission field and that's okay but i I remember that was a big adjustment for me for sure Wow. Yeah, that would be the whole aspect of choice, wanting to be mm-hmm. somewhere versus yeah. being forced to be somewhere. That's that's very interesting that you noted most of the people going on the world race are not only going, but they're in order to go. There's a lot of sacrifice on yeah. their part to, in order to 
be a part of that. Whereas, right. yeah, the students, very little commitment or buy-in. Some of them are just being dropped off there, forced yeah. to be there. So right. in that situation, how are you able to rally these different personalities, people, motivations, backgrounds? How can you inspire them, get them to work together and, and yeah, be a, be a cohesive body worshiping yeah. God. How does that happen? Well, not a whole lot I can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did try to be really intentional. I think Gen Z, uh, cause that's mainly who I was pastoring. I don't think there was any Gen Alpha. I think it was all Gen Z. Um, but they really need authenticity. Like there's, there's been a big movement. I mean, if you look at all the generations, there's kind of like marks on what they've needed and how the church has answered the need of the generation. Some have gone too far where they have looked more so to the need of the generation, formula, formulated the church in model based on that need, and then have unfortunately sacrificed some things that like are in here. And and so for me, I, I realized like, okay, what does Gen Z need? They're... Gen Z, they're all about gathering around a movement. So you you notice a lot of Gen Z are very justice oriented. Uh, they're, they'll very quickly get on like, we want justice. And, and it's almost like groupthink, but like in a good way. Oftentimes Gen Z is very active in and outspoken in what they want to be involved with. But one thing that, that Gen Z, and I think it's because of social media, if I'm honest, um, but I think that they're kind of disenfranchised to anything fake or anything disingenuous, um, like because they can read it, they know like if you're doing it for the you know the the clip on Instagram, like and and they just have like a quick like they can just sniff out when you're being fake really fast, mm. and um, and so I just realized like they need to see me as an authentic follower of Jesus. And they need to see that I'm not just a pastor who has it all together, but I'm someone who is an embodied soul before God that I'm pursuing Christ alongside them. Now, I might be further alongside. So I'm like, I can kind of pull them along and say, hey, maybe I'm a couple years beyond you. Um, but I, it's so important that I embody humility and like, but we're all going after this thing together. And so if I'm struggling now, there's there's vulnerability appropriateness. Like I don't need to, you know, tell them my deepest, darkest sins. But one thing I can say is like, guys, it was kind of hard to hang out with Jesus this week. I did it, but I want you to know it was really hard to read my Bible. Whoa. A pastor saying it was hard to read your Bible this week. Like that doesn't make any sense. And I, but I did that because they needed to see someone actually following Jesus, not just saying that he is. And so it looked like me being vulnerable. It looked like me, like, really showing them what it looks like because if uh john wesley has this quote like light yourself on fire for god and people will come for miles to watch you burn and i feel like that was almost my role as a pastor was like i need to in ignite the flame in my own heart of affection for jesus and like you can't help but be wooed into affection for christ because of what they're seeing in me um, and I can't convince them of that. I can't tell them to fall in love with Jesus. I can't tell them to to respond differently to culture than their friends are. Like, 
that's not in my own strength. But what I can do is I can point them to the shepherd. I can point them to Jesus alongside of me. And so that was like one thing in, in, in particular that was, was really important. Um, and another thing with that was recognizing that I wasn't the shepherd. Jesus Christ is the shepherd, right? And, and if he is the good shepherd, a lot of students look to the pastor, actually not just students, adults, I think anyone, they, they look to the pastor and they say, you have all my answers. But I think a good shepherd actually acts like a glorified sheepdog. And if they back off and say, I'm not the shepherd here, but let me point you to Jesus. And so, so many times I had students coming to me like, Ian, I'm struggling with this. What do I do? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. They probably hated me. Like, <laughs> it was so annoying. But I'm like, but you know who does have an answer? Jesus. And so I'm going to help you and equip you to go to him first instead of me. Now, I can help discern if you're hearing the Lord's voice correctly or if you're interpreting scripture like from a, an appropriate lens, but, but how do I point them to him? And so to get, I guess to, yeah, to, to, to answer your question with the eclectic view, I have to recognize that like, I might not have every single person all in, um, but that's not necessarily my role, right? It's like mm. the Holy Spirit's role. I mean, if, if we look at Jesus, like he got 11 out of 12. Like Jesus didn't even have a perfect record when it came to his disciples of like all in. And I'm not saying that we need to make up percentages based on that, but I'm like, well, if even I get 50% and Jesus had 11 out of 12, like great. And obviously I don't, I never thought about that. I wasn't like, I want half of my youth group in love with the Lord. Like that's not what I was thinking, but there has to be like an open handedness to like, I'm not in control, but if I can help it, I want these students still in love with Jesus in 20 years. And so being a real person. And then even, I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but even when it comes to like engaging with students who are all in, like sometimes, for instance, like let's say the atheist, um, like I can't engage with them from a lens of pointing them to Jesus because they're saying that he is in Christ, right? So what do I do there? Well, what I would often do is I would discern what's the need of that student. Um, for instance, like struggling with their, their father. I'm like, well, great. I'm going to be a father figure to them. Um, so much so that when one day, and I still pray it to this day, that they fall in love with Jesus and give him their all, they will see those little seeds that I planted of like, wow. Ian was there for me. He was someone who cared about me. And didn't he didn't just care so that I fell in love with Jesus. He like cared about me just for me. Mm. And now that I'm in love with Jesus, there's like extra fire. There's extra, you know, there's extra fuel to that fire, you know? So, yeah, no, I love that. It actually ties into something we talk about on the show or have been talking about recently with, because our, show we get into religion some but we stay a lot in philosophy and psychology right now at least and so yeah. we're talking about Jun and Nietzsche and mm. Austin th these are kind of Austin's ideas I thought he articulated it very well in one of our last episodes though where Nietzsche assumed that for human motivation human reasoning for when they're doing something there was 
always or almost always a selfish reason in there. Right. So if, if I were to do a good deed, the example we used in the podcast was if I did something to help the poor, sure. I'm helping the poor, but maybe I'm gaining social status yeah. or I'm getting, there's right. some, there's like a give and take, or there's a, uh, a motivation that's ill, ill intended or what have yeah. you. So I do like that you were saying there, you, you don't have, any any external negative motivation there you know like i think mm -hmm. that's a direct critique of kind of nietzsche's yeah idea is kind of what i'm trying to say in a roundabout way because you care for the that student the atheist student you're talking about in your, in your example simply because of who they are not right. because of anything they can do for you and yeah. you know you're praying on their behalf because you really truly do value and love them as a person. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that that was really well put. And I just had, I wanted to add that tie in because it yeah, that's good. reminded me of something that we've been talking about on the show. But I also wanted, I loved, I wanted to say that I love the way you answered the question because, yeah, you have all these different personalities and these different kids that are growing, learning, becoming more of who they are. But your yeah. job isn't necessarily to, make it all happen no. make it all fit it's i like the no. sheepdog reference you're yeah you're pointing them to what you believe to be the truest path the righteous path yeah and following god so well there's even like a... they will they will outgrow their need for me because there will come a day where i'm not there so how do i teach them to go to the person that will always be there and so it's like even with parenting like healthy parenting is equipping your kids for like how like they're gonna grow they're gonna outgrow their need for you and kids that only rely on their parents like all of a sudden when they're on their own they don't know what to do anymore and so if I can equip these students with how to go to the source how to go to Christ first how to go to scripture how to do these things on their own like because they'll outgrow their need for me because what happens when I'm not around anymore and I was the one who always gave the answer. And all of a sudden, they don't know what to do anymore because Ian's the answer guy. And so one thing I would even say all the time when someone would ask me a question, I would say, I, I can't, or they say, hey, you know, I have a question. And I say, I have a response. And uh, if I don't have the answer, I, or what would I say? Um, yeah, if I don't have the answer, I promise that we'll find it together. And I was very intentional with that language of like, I will respond to you, but I might not answer you. So sometimes students would be like, hey, and what do I do in this situation? I'm not going to give them the answer. I'm going to teach them how to find the answer on their own. And that's, in my opinion, that's healthy discipleship. That's like raising people up. That's, that's equipping them. I mean, that's good leadership. Like that's like getting people equipped on their own. And so, um, yeah. That's a, a great distinction between response and answer there's sometimes it's good to have that vulnerability or transparency of sometimes there i can't give you both and what i'm right. saying but i can i will talk to you but i can't promise that i can make this question or doubt whole right so, and i i do wonder if especially i don't know for myself but i do wonder if people at times whenever they have a question 
do feel the need to just give an answer, even if it's maybe not the right one. And being mm-hmm. married, you know, um, I, I catch myself doing that sometimes. Do I actually know that? Because then if Peyton yeah. asks me a good question, I'm uh, maybe I don't know as yeah. much as I thought I did. And then I have to look into it more. It's a, or maybe yeah. we need to have more of a her and I need to have more of a conversation. So a marriage is yeah. very illuminating in that in that regard it, for it me. But it seems like you're you already have the wherewithal to say, OK, might not know the answer, but we can. I like that idea, too. We can investigate it together. Like there's yeah. still that there's still that camaraderie that we're building together i'm i'm with you that whole thing yeah because that's another thing about doubt or fear is it's so haunting on your own when you're wrestling with a concept or an idea that terrifies you or maybe it's not even an idea maybe it it is a reality of or could become a reality something like that nature but um yeah and like falsely we falsely dichotomize uh doubt and faith and the opposite of faith is not doubt it's disbelief mm. and and so we have to be careful right that like if if we can't express our doubt or express our questions then we're we're actually communicating that the answer or response or journey to find that answer isn't good enough and so oftentimes most people and I'm a firm believer of this you've you know if you follow any statistics of young christians and how many of them have left the faith you know, they grew up in church and they left the faith and they did a bunch of studies. Barna did a, a research, like did some research. And one of the biggest reasons that people left the faith is because they didn't feel like they could express doubt or ask questions. Wow. And so it's like, how do we not falsely dichotomize that the opposite of faith is doubt? So I'm like, I would always tell them like, doubt's okay. You can doubt, you can doubt, wrestle it out get it out. Let's talk about it. What questions do you have? I would, even as I was preaching, I would let them interrupt me as I was preaching, which for preachers, very annoying, but (laughs) for like discipleship, it's really good because if they have a question, I want them to know that there's not a wrong question. And, and if that's the case, they say, Hey, and I'm really struggling with this idea. I'm really struggling with how to love this person because they, they hurt me. I'm really struggling. Like how could a good God allow evil in the world? Like there's all these questions and we need to give, I feel like youth ministry and youth, like our youth group was a safe place to explore those questions because you're going to explore them. And if you're in a safe or unsafe place, oftentimes determines your outcome at the end of that exploration. And so we just, we have to be careful. And so for me, it's like, I want to give people a safe place to ask and doubt and ask questions and, even what you were saying with marriage, like, I think I don't know is one of the three most freeing words you can say. And it's also a pretty good pride check and humility check. Like, mm. am I someone who walks in humility and that when I say, I don't know, it doesn't bother my pride and yeah. it doesn't affect my countenance where I can say, I don't know. And it's actually more freeing than it is convicting or destroying. Because if you're, if you, I never want to be the guy in the room that has all the answers because one, it means I'm the smartest person in the room. And I think good leaders are never the smartest people in the room. They always get around smarter people. Um, but also there's like, it's just, it's freeing to be like, I don't know. And I'm fine with that. There's mystery. We have to, we have to have a space for mystery, you know? And so. I Absolutely. Know. I I like that a lot. And 
definitely relevant for me. That's one I do have trouble. I I'm I fall in a weird category where I'm mo I'm more introverted, but I'm also an external processor. Yeah. So well. sometimes I think I know something, but then when I start opening my mouth and talking about it, I realize, oh, I actually don't know as much as I thought I did. Yeah. Right. 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 So yeah, but it's good. It is a good just think think before you speak be precise in your speech these yeah. are all topics we have kind of been discussing recently that've been ch like challenging me in a good way mm -hmm. but that's also i love that the way you phrase that too with the uh, it's a it's a pride check at the end of the yeah. day humility check as well because you know pride can lead you to do a lot of things dishonorable dishonest yeah. you know so it's Want to, definitely want to keep that in check. And I'm saying this mostly yeah. for myself too. No, I'm with you. I'm not, yeah, I don't so. have it down. I'm not perfect at it. But one thing I've been yeah. saying as I feel like as I've been doing my master's, a lot of people fill themselves with intellect, you know, you know, it's like Western culture has almost viewed humanity as brains on a stick. And we've ignored, we've become very, very like plate, uh, like Plato, this idea of, separation of basically the body and the spirit are not equal in value but it's like no we're 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 tri beings like we, we have a body we have a spirit we have a soul we have a mind right and so like that's so important and it i don't know we, we just have to be oh, what what i was getting to is, is as i've been saying a lot of people in their masters they they get a lot of information and then they get a lot of pride where they're like well i know a lot of things because they put their value in what they know. And I, for me, I feel like that alienates so many people. So I've been really trying to posture myself in humility where, okay, if I know the big word, what's the smallest word I can say for that big word? Because no one needs to know I know big words or Greek or any of that. And as people are asking me, like, how's my master's? I'm like, the more I read, the less I know. I think it's dangerous when we read some and then we think we know a lot. But I think those who actually have a lot of knowledge on a subject usually are super humble in it because they know there's so much they don't know on that topic. Right. I, so, I like that a lot. The The more I read, the less I know. That's such a great yeah. truth. Because yeah. someone, even too, we're both musicians, played mm -hmm. a lot of music in college together. But someone might say to me, oh, you're a good guitar player. And I just yeah. think of all of the things I still need to get better at. And yeah, I right. Just, I mean, it's nice if someone compliments me, I want to accept the compliment. Of but course. the reality is, is I see that vast expanse of what I'm going towards, not the little yeah, right. nugget that I've already figured out or have yeah. worked on or worked through. But yep. also, I, I know you just touched on your master's program, and I did want to delve into that more because yeah. in in joining this program and doing this program, a big move was necessitated and you guys are in a new city now and yeah. just wanted to hear how some of that's going and how the program itself has been. I know you touched on it a little bit, but maybe just going more in depth on where you're at now, that transition yeah. out of your youth pastor role sure. and that whole process. Yeah, man. Well, it was a journey. It was a long journey because uh, by the end of my time at the Indy Vineyard, I was the youth pastor and small groups pastor. 
And then I also had the privilege of being on the teaching team. And so I was doing a lot. It was like, I was just the youth pastor more. I was in charge of all the small groups and was preaching pretty often on Sundays. And, and so, and I was really honored. Like it was a huge honor. I was really thankful for all those opportunities, but it, if I'm honest, it didn't make like a ton, a ton of sense for me to leave because people kind of looking is like, well, you're like, you know, you're not that you've made it, but like you have all this, you know, influence, you know, in this church and you're learning and you're growing and people look up to you. And, and, but we just started feeling this like holy discontent of like the grace really lifted on my role. And it's not that I stopped doing them, but I just, before where it like ignited my soul and spirit, there was just like a holy agitation. Like it just was a friction that was maybe unnamed. And so it was a really long discernment process for us to leave. But eventually we, you know, we went on, you know, some retreats where my wife, Rachel and I were praying and, and we felt the Lord really lay on our heart that we were supposed to leave the church. But what's fun is he didn't tell us where we were going. <laughs> so he's like, I just want you to leave. And we're like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, could you tell us what's next? And we really felt the Lord just lay on our heart, kind of still small voice, like, um, I'm not going to show you the next step until you take the one I've showed you. And so had like a scary conversation with the elders and staff and it went really well. It's a really healthy church. I love them dearly. Still talk with them. So it was, it was a good, um, but just said, Hey, we feel like the Lord is like leading us elsewhere. We don't know where, we don't know if it's here in Indianapolis or somewhere else. And long story short, so we don't get bogged down in the details, uh, felt the Lord start to speak Nashville. Um, he started speaking that after we had communicated that we were leaving. And uh, so we started speaking in the city of Nashville, a lot of cool God things that kind of orchestrated our move here. Um, but yeah, so then I ended up doing a, doing my master's. I've been wanting to go to seminary for a really long time and um, it just opened up. And so I'm doing a program with a church called the belonging co uh, where I get to like hang out with them, do some leadership stuff, but then also do my schooling online. So I don't actually have any classes in person, all of it's on zoom or online, but in terms of how I like the program, I love it. It's I, one thing I, I don't love about some seminaries is the seminary bubble. So it's like you go for four years and you're, you get really smart and you leave thinking you're really smart. And then all of a sudden you enter the real world and you have a single mom who, you know, is, has been really wounded and hurt. And you go, I know all these big words, but how do I actually like pastor this person in front of me? Like, mm. how does it become real? Right. And so I think we have to be careful to not separate knowledge from like practical pastoral ministry, if that's our calling. If you want to be a scholar and go into higher education, awesome. But what this degree has really showed me, like, I don't want to be a scholar. Like, it, it doesn't impress me personally to like know all the stuff. Like, I want to take the things that I'm learning and put it into action with real people, into the church, into uh, shifting the culture. Like, how do I, how do I use these things? And so it's been really good partnership with this. Like I'm in the real world. I'm in a local church, which is so big. Uh, I'm in a, in a local church and I'm, I'm learning these things. And so, um, yeah, so now we're here in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> I never thought I would be in Nashville ever. Uh, I, I've never thought about Nashville, Tennessee, but that's how God works. And um, I tell people that I'm not a musician in Nashville. I might have been a musician in Indianapolis, <laughs> but compared to the way people play music here, I'm not a musician by any means because everyone well, hey. is very talented. 
Yeah, that's that's fair. But I I will say you are a good musician. I gotta well, gotta you. give you your props. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. But yeah, no, I I I like to that idea of the prag. I'm very pragmatic. Yeah. So the idea of what am I learning now? How can I use that in a real way to help people? Yeah. I do think I've I've definitely heard stories of seminary not being great or some people do think it's great but then walk away yeah. from christianity yeah so um cemetery cemetery is that what, the, uh, is that people, what they call it? some people say it's cemetery for your faith oh wow so obviously i'm not um don't have the seminary background or the yeah bible yet yeah oh yeah uh, I, I don't plan on it either, but we'll yeah, see. <laughs> um, but Austin, you, you, when you were talking about that, our good friend, our mutual friend and co-host of the podcast, Austin is, that's very much his lane too, is just, yeah. how can I love people? Yeah. Jesus loved people well, gave us a great example. How can I use that in my everyday life to yeah. love people better? And what you were just speaking made me think of him and just how in line that is wow. with what he's seeking out to do so yeah um yeah but i uh, i think uh it's definitely crazy just moving and going yeah. on on uh god's call but it's not yeah. your first time as we've come we've established yeah. went on that sure. 11 countries in 11 months got the yeah. apartment with me without a job and then you know so yeah yeah you, you're definitely um and from what I see, definitely very obedient to what God has mm. for you. And um, just wanted yeah, to, yeah, give you some recognition there. So, the hope, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, I also think it's funny because we could spend, I'll definitely have to have you back on the show sometime because we could spend a whole episode just talking about the race or just talking yeah, about right. what you learned in youth ministry or just talking yeah, about sure. what you're learning now. and how that yeah. affects you know the people that you're around and and your ministry and and whatnot but yeah um i do think we kind of we we did cover the bases the the high level kind of who how do ian and logan know each other yeah how did that right. how did ian's journey through life transpire over time but i would be curious to hear we're trying to promote on the show reading thinking, yeah. having conversations. You've always been someone for me. I know that as well as Pat and Austin, who hosts the show with me. But if I ever have thoughts, question ideas, you're always one of the first people I want to bounce an idea off of or a thought or, yeah. you know, um, so I, I guess I'd just be curious. I know obviously too, we've talked before the show and yeah. we call each other outside of just this filming Sure. But just if you wanted to talk about anything that's kind of on your mind or your heart, yeah, what you know, what's what's going on with Ian right now? Yeah, what's what's bouncing around a little too much, if I'm honest. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, I feel like seminary is one of those funny things that every week you have a little bit of a theological crisis where you're like, I thought I believed this, and now I don't know because you're reading everyone, you know, and and all the theologians and reading different passages of scripture, so. Um, most recently, and this is like a couple day thing, so I've been sitting on it long, but I'm curious your thoughts on it too. It's this quote by a guy named, uh, GK Chesterton. And 
it's just it's it's gripped me and so i have a lot of thoughts with the um this is the quote it is the paradox of history that each generation is converted by the saint that contradicts it most and it i don't know it's just interesting that what does it look like that that saints right throughout all of church history up to today actually oftentimes take a stance that is counter to the generation that they're in right and even the quote that precedes that it's from a book um oh gosh what's what's the book from um i don't remember oh i think it's uh, it's gk chesterton on thomas aquinas um and this is where this is from he's thomas aquinas is kind of a medieval uh, theologian basically um, but the quote that precedes this, which I think sets it up really well, it's the saint is a medicine because he is an antidote. Indeed, that is why the saint is often a martyr. He is mistaken for a poison because he is an antidote. He will generally be found restoring the world to sanity by exaggerating whatever the world neglects, which is by no means always the same element in every age. Yet each generation seeks its saint by instinct. And he is not what people want, but rather what the people need. And I don't know, it's just been gripping me as like, I've even had conversations with my wife of like, what is Gen Alpha? Because there's already a new generation. We have Gen Z and now there's Gen Alpha. And then before long, generations are getting smaller. Uh, Gen Alpha, there's going to be a new generation. And, and each generation kind of has a marker, kind of what we were talking about even earlier. And it's like, what is Gen Alpha going to need? uh in terms of what 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 does gen alpha need the church to be in 20 years and like how can we even like prophetically see ahead and recognize like okay what in the coming generation needs to be contradicted against now, i don't mean having a negative approach and that we respond like say oh that's bad we're going to do the opposite thing like that's not what i'm saying but there is a recognition that there are people who stand out throughout history who have gone against the status quo and then it became the new accepted norm. I mean, look at Martin Luther King, right? Like he, even like his, I had a dream speech. People always say that it was such a powerful speech and it was a powerful speech. Sure. But I think it was a, it was him prophetically seeing, I have a dream that my children, right. It's this very thing that like he 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 imagined that the coming generation wouldn't deal with the same issues that he is. And it took a saint, it took a Martin Luther King Jr. to stand up and to actually contradict the the generation, right? To to contradict what was happening around him. And so um I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about it and a lot of ways I could go, but that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately. Well, and I will say, I have to use your line against you now, or not against mm. you, but back to you, where do it. I can't promise an answer, but I'll give you a response here. Yeah, there and you go. I thought, I think the Martin Luther King Jr. is definitely a very fitting example for the modern age. That's, yeah. that's one that I think would support, for, again, from just hearing this from the, for the first or second time, that GK Chesterton yeah. idea, I think that's a, a great example for a modern um modern case of someone that was willing to stand up against so, uh, an injustice that most people or at least definitely a large portion of the country perceived as wrong but most people right. maybe weren't willing to 
to to do something about or maybe we're willing to support a cause but didn't know how to yeah. speak up or move speak up or, yeah, yeah organize yeah. so sure king king was definitely great at orating organizing yeah. and um one of the other concepts we've been talking about on the show for the last couple of months is the idea of the future and sacrificing for the future. So wow. even just the idea of I have a dream mm. for the, for the future, a vision for the future, yeah. because it's, it's a great point that we can't, or the U S at that time, especially in the South couldn't keep living in the way that it was doing. There yeah. was, what's the end goal? The end goal should be the peace and prosperity the promise of the constitution is handed yeah. out to all people equally. Yep. So someone being able to articulate that idea and that concept in the manner in which he did is admirable. And yeah, obviously there are a lot more people that could speak to King's brilliancy than I can, but right. just as far as what I can gather and understand, I think that so brilliant and clever, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, talk about good leadership too. Oh uh, yeah. I did wanna so this is a little bit of an aside, but something that yeah you were saying that just caught my interest there. You were saying that the generations are growing or getting younger within how yeah. how long they're measuring a generation. Do you yeah. know why that is? From my understanding of what I've read, it's specifically because of technology. Um because generations are oftentimes defined by a marking moment. Um, but also culture happens in waves. So uh, culture, um, let's say in the 60s, let's say it's this 10 year period, you know, maybe there were some really big things. Obviously, yeah, there were, there were a ton of big things happened in the 60s. Um, and there were all these things, but still that was like that generations were over the course of, you know, let's say 20 years, right? Like it was a 20 year span. And the reason the generations are getting smaller is because technology is perpetuating culture much quicker than it ever has in human history. So that because we have the internet, like what becomes a cultural phenomenon can now happen overnight while it used to take months. It used to take years. Like for, you know, fashion to really take hold, it's years. Now, Taylor Swift posted on Instagram and overnight it is now the new cultural norm. And so I think technology, social media has a lot to do with that um yeah and that's just in my understanding i'm not a cultural generational expert um but that's to my understanding why that's happening and yeah that would make sense because even the millennials which is i believe our generation i think we're on like the tail end of the millennial yeah. train right but we had some of these technological advances like we both both grew up playing Game Boys, and yeah, right, 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 Come and on. having CD players and video yeah. now. If you do, you remember video now? Oh yeah! Oh my <laughs> gosh, what a what a throwback! So we had some of the those innovations, but then now kids have iPhones at very yeah. young ages. Right. Whereas 100%. we got cell phones. The rule in our house was you got a cell phone when you're at age thirteen. So that was a huge mm. rite of passage, you know, kind of going into yeah. teenager phase. But even the, right. the phone I had back then would have, oh, <laughs> it would be a so piece different. of junk today. So, oh, yeah, oh. for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. But that's funny. Yeah. I thought that that was an interesting, interesting 
piece just uh yeah yeah how how much how different generations vary but then the variables that could affect a generation as you mentioned technology could could be could necessitate a change in how we're measuring them or for what period so that's a really good point yeah and I, i i wouldn't even be surprised if the coming generations um are going to respond to technology differently than we expect them to. In other words, like, you know, Gen Z, Gen Alpha have grown up in this, this tech world. They know nothing different. Like they are techie. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a re-emergence of human connection, of, of like these, these pieces that humanity has always valued and then all of a sudden, Western society has become super individualistic. It's become, you know, we, we look at mental health like spikes. We look at depression. We look at uh, body image issue. All of it is up, and it it directly correlates. I'm not saying this is the the problem, but I mean, I'll I'll say it. I think it's the problem. Like social media is like the problem. Like it is a direct correlation. The amount of time you spend on your phone is directly related, oftentimes, to the levels of anxiety that you have. Because, like, I've heard it, the statistic, it's like, and I, I'll probably be off on this, but it's something in the, this vein, like, the amount of content that we've digested within our first 20 minutes of waking up is equal to, like, an entire year and a half content from the 50s. Like, it's just, wow. it's just astronaut, like, our brains were not meant to compute this much information this rapidly. And I think we're going to start seeing kind of reacting to this technological culture more like, I'm not saying like Little House on the Prairie vibes, but like almost like, oh my gosh, actually human connection fills my soul and dopamine levels at a screen camp. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Man, I I think we could have a whole podcast just on this topic alone. Yeah, for sure. Because... You know, you knew me in college, and for the listener too, if you're still there. Um, no, <laughs> but I was very much not on my phone at all. Yeah, true. Or I used it for its basic features, text and talk. But then, yeah. oh, I start using voice memos, notes, Google Maps, yeah. and then oh, I'll add social media on there, and then yeah. next thing I know, I'm spending five hours a day on my phone. And I've yeah. gotten particularly bad recently, but I do think that there is a positive feedback loop component to the social media or, a, oh. or yeah, that sort of thing Absolutely. where you're feeling bad about yourself. So you just want to connect with people yeah. in a low right. cost and not, not financial sense, but a low cost of, I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to organize yeah. something again. I can just right. pull up the phone and Quick. scroll and see stuff and. Um, yeah, I, it probably, tr- it, I don't know. I, yeah. I would need to look into more about it, but I've definitely listened to a few podcasts on how that, that cycle can be bad or worsen yeah. where you're anxious. So you go to this social media or phone, whatever at, to feel better, but then right. you feel bad or feel worse. And then you yeah. keep doing it. Go back it's to it. almost like a definitely drugs or alcohol abuse fall into a similar like that is for sure a positive feedback loop where yeah at some point you're having good interactions on drugs alcohol or with them 
But then yeah. there comes a point of overconsumption where it starts negatively impacting your life. But because you have this loop in place, you know, yeah. it, it can be a dangerous trap to try to get out of. So I wonder if a similar idea would parallel to social media, but. Well, I think so. Yeah. Even the creator of the like button regretted it. Like the whole purpose of it, because people weren't spending as much time on Facebook before the like button. And then there was someone in the office that actually created the like button with the intention of getting people hooked so that there was a dopamine hit when they were engaging with the social media. And actually, interestingly enough, that guy has now come out and said, like, it was it was a terrible addition in terms of like it has now harmed humanity. And he even sends his kids to um, to like tech free schools, like like no screen zone because he was involved in the making of making social media addictive. And he's like, that's why we made it like we made it. How can we get people on in it? as long as we can but you're right we could spend a whole podcast on it <laughs> yeah isn't i think that there's a movie or a show about Doc, that the social dilemma i think is that uh, what it is there's a documentary on netflix really interesting yeah i might have to check that out i've been casually interested in this reading a little bit or definitely listening to podcasts on it but I, I andy might be crouch in that out. also has some really interesting stuff uh, the TechWise family, um, and he actually wrote a book with his daughter uh, where they did a survey between kids um, with a bunch of kids, and they asked them two questions. They said, if you, exactly what you're saying about like kind of engaging with people is like, they ask kids, would you rather basically, let's say, play at the playground or play video games with, you know, your friends? And they, they took the digital equivalent in the in-person interaction and they ask questions and every single kid 100% of the time picked the in-person human connection answer. Then they followed it up and said, and what, um, and what do you actually do? Even though you want one thing, what do you actually do? And then it shifted. And then what actually people did was gone on Fortnite with their friends, even though they want to go to the park and play outside. And wow. so it, kids, it's important as adults and parents eventually, you know, all this stuff is like recognizing this is actually the desire of the kid's heart, you know, the desire of our heart, like just even like the desire is human connection. And if that's the case, how do I create spaces for that human connection and not limit myself to interaction between a screen? Ironically enough, as we zoom, but that's because we live in different cities. So. Oh, that is kind of funny too. Yeah. To <laughs> anytime you're leveling a critique at technology, but then I'm so reliant on it now. Yeah. It it is it yep. The the difference we have to be careful is are we using technology or is technology using us? And so are we using it as a not even a tool, but can we use it as an instrument? Uh because like can we actually use it to not just amplify our life, but like, uh, like in this instance, Zoom, super beneficial. We're using it as, as a really helpful tool. Technology is not using us. We're using it to allow this conversation to happen. You're listening on the airwaves, on the podcast. This is all technology. Um, but technology can quickly begin to use us where we become the product. Um, and not just on social media, there's other ways. And so we have to really ask ourselves, how, how am I using technology and how... How is it benefiting me? And am I letting it benefit me or am I 
the one it's you know you just have to weigh those things so yeah all great points and i think like you're saying maybe we do need to have another podcast maybe. at some time to delve into this more I, i'd be I interested to have a have a further conversation but um i just wanted to thank you again ian from coming on and and joining me today and talking about a variety of things i truly appreciate your friendship and yeah just wanted to see if you had any closing thoughts or pieces of advice, et cetera. Oh man. Closing thoughts, pieces, pieces of advice. Um, I, I think it's important to ask this question of the culture thing on how we're engaging with culture. Um, because I think a lot of people have been reactionary to culture and not creative of culture, especially in the Christian sphere. Um, there's There's been like this history of Christians the past 150 years that has either condemned culture, um, they've critiqued culture, they've maybe copied culture, or they have consumed the culture. And all four of those approaches are reactionary. Um, but what does it look like for us kind of in that G.K. Chesterton quote of actually counteracting the culture. How do we prophetically look ahead and see what the generation needs? And it requires dreaming. It requires us to engage with what if, you know, even engage with how do you engage with your city? And this could be a whole nother podcast and I won't dive into it like a ton, but it's like if you live in a certain city, you can actually like you don't have to submit yourself to the culture of that city especially if it's a negative culture you actually can stand out but you have to be intentional and point out what, what the culture of the city is like in las vegas let's say it's greed um or you know gluttony or whatever it is like you can live a simplistic lifestyle in las vegas you can be generous with your money and you can actually counteract the culture of the city in your own personal life. And then if enough people get around that, the culture starts to look different. So that that would be my my encouragement. It's just like evaluate the culture that you're in and evaluate how you engage with that culture. Um, because as Christians, I personally am a Christ follower. And if you're listening and you are, or in any other way, like how do you form the culture for the good of humanity? Uh, but it requires not reacting to it, but rather looking ahead and anticipating and saying, here's what Gen Alpha might need. Here's what the next generation might need. Here's problems that we might face that maybe there's an answer to. And so, and yeah, I could dive into that a ton, but that would be my, my closing thought. Just be intentional in thinking on how you're being formed and recognize that you can be intentional and in not being formed like, um, like those around you. And being counterformed in a healthy way so yeah i i really do appreciate your time and i i wanted to chime in though just on that last piece you had yeah said because please do. i i think most of my life i've been not even that i've been trying to be this way intentionally but i've been weird or odd but it's more of i'm just trying to figure out who i am and being that person regardless mm -hmm. of the things that happen around me but I've noticed in the last four or five years, you had talked on that uh, idea of the, what was it, creating culture versus reacting to culture? Was that the yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I've always been highly creative and I've enjoyed yeah. creating, even in Anderson University where we went to school, some people could complain because it might be boring to them or there's maybe not mm-hmm. a lot to do. But for us in our friend group, we always just made our own fun. And Absolutely. we didn't have to rely on parties or programming. What yeah. I, we were going to have fun every day, regardless of, you know, what was going That was just absolutely our mentality, I guess. But in the last four or five years, I've definitely noticed myself switching. I don't play as music. I don't play music as much. I'm not mm. writing as much. I'm not doing X, Y, and Z as much, seeing friends as often. So yeah it's definitely on my radar to start trying to counteract that and yeah be part more be a be more a part of creating meaningful i guess you could call it culture or just life outlook habits beliefs i it's something i'm trying to be more mindful yeah. of That's a small way i'm doing that right now is i am trying to write poetry love it because it's simple and I can write short so haikus and then I release yeah. them again. I'm using social media to do this, but I use it more as I have almost no followers and I don't follow anyone on it, but I just use it to release those ideas and like keep them on that account. And I don't know. It's just the way that I'm trying to counteract. Yeah. Yeah. Just that the way I've always been and the way I'm becoming just trying to align those or integrate. There's definitely a piece of the last four or five years where I'm being more responsible. Some of those kind of things like life, life is just changing, but I also want to maintain some of that creative side of me. So I'm trying to integrate it into this life and not just being on my phone consuming because that's, I would fall on as far as the, so if there's that dichotomy of creative or creating culture and reacting, I would definitely be in that consuming where I'm just yeah. watching a lot of yeah. shows, podcasts, right. um, social media, whatever. I'm just, I yeah. think I'm going through that a lot right now, but when I'm at my healthiest, I think I don't have the phone on me at all. And I'm right. just yeah. playing guitar or I'm with yeah. friends and family and yeah. So I'm glad you, and good. I'm sorry I'm going way long now, but no, I'm, I'm glad fine. you. I'm good. I'm glad you brought that up, and it definitely I needed to respond because I felt that mm-hmm. it related to me, very yeah, strongly. So in this way, good. and we need to have you back on for another episode. I, I'm, I'd love to. I'm calling it now. So thanks so much again to. for coming on and and being a guest, Ian. Of course. Happy yeah. to. Thank you.